And I'm John Eisen. This is a podcast about the challenges we face as runners from navigating our bodies, dealing with social dynamics, and facing personal trauma. Yeah, I love that new tagline we came up with. I think we're going to stick with this one. Yeah, as you all know, as you regular listeners know, we've been playing with different taglines and finding our groove as a podcast as well. And I think we've landed on um, a really interesting tagline that really encompasses all of the different types of dynamic guests that we've had thus far. Yeah, and, and with it, we're launching season two, which just means, which doesn't mean we'll be any regular, uh, more <laughs> regular with our podcast, but just that we have found a groove with what we want to talk about, and yeah. we're ready to, to get some great guests in. Yeah. So I hope you guys will enjoy listening. We have some great future guests coming on, but let's talk about guests today. Yes. Today, we have Caitlin Yonke, a very accomplished trail runner from here in Colorado, and she's on talking about adaptive athletes and being a guide to adaptive athletes. Her story is really uh, powerful. And yeah, individually, she's a great athlete. But when you combine it with all the things she's doing to raise money for causes, uh, it was it's really amazing to see. And I'm, I'm really happy that we got her on the podcast and you, so you guys get to hear her story. Yeah, I really enjoyed Caitlin. Um, this was a fun one because this is the first guest that we didn't know that well. Yeah, yeah. I had essentially met Caitlin. We were volunteering together at the finish line of the Westline Winder, um, which you guys have heard about, of course, a 50K in the Sawatch that we um, that uh, I volunteer with regularly, and sometimes Miranda's out there. And um, Caitlin and her husband, Brandon, were also volunteering at the finish line, and we get to hang out all day. And, and also, it turns out that she is a Speedland athlete, and big news, I am now a Speedland <laughs> athlete, although I don't think we're on the same level. Like, I'm on, I'm on the Speedlander ambassador team, which is great. And, um, and she's a running athlete. Yes. Uh, um, I think so. I don't really know. Uh, but I, but now we, we both, but now I, so it was exciting news cause I now represent a brand, which is really weird for me. It's my first brand partnership, uh, even though it's just like uh, an ambassadorship, which is basically just shoes for posts. Um, but I think it's really cool. And, and I met her like right after I found out on Friday and then I met her on Saturday. So it was kind of a, a funny get together and we, uh, we're, we made friends and talked about the pod and she wanted to come on. Yeah. And so... Uh, she listened to our last episode on exercise dependency and really appreciated that we were talking about things that people aren't talking about. And yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. Yeah, it was really, I really enjoyed the conversation. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about her run, running accomplishments, which she is a very accomplished runner. We do dip in a little we with that white, little uh, white rim FKT. Yeah, because that was, that was the one that she wanted to talk about. And yeah. we let her choose which which adventure, which accomplishment she wanted to explore sure. a little bit more that she was the most proud of. And that's more what we're interested in here. We want we want to explore your running accomplishments, but we want to know what inspires you to do them, what inspired you, what sparked your joy, and what, what sparked are, joy in that particular adventure. And what are the challenges that you have to overcome? As yeah. All of us do. I mean, when you think about it, most of the time, running's not easy. Most of the time, getting out of bed or, or getting to that training cycle 
is a little bit harder than it should be. And sometimes running is really easy, but most of the time is a little bit on the not side, at least in my experience. And I think in a lot of people's experience. And and when we talk about running with problems, we're not talking about running away from problems. We're talking about yeah. like, what are the things that you deal with? And and whether that's being supportive of adapt, adaptive athletes in your life or being an adaptive athlete yourself or being an athlete of color, like like not feeling represented, like all these different issues and topics, um, even just like relationship issues. We can go back and touch on what our podcast originally what we originally thought it was going to be. Yeah. Because uh, all those things affect, you know, running. Affects, so, yeah, how we show up in this community um, as a, and as a runner, as an individual in this sport, which um, Caitlin, to drop back to Caitlin, talks yeah. about as a team sport. So, yes, our title um, encompasses all of those things. We'll still do advice. But um, mostly John and I will tackle that on our own because what we've found is that when we have these really incredible guests, we, we run out of time because we just want to talk to them. Yeah, and we want to hear their story. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we decided to remove, like, the advice part or, like, the bringing in a story to get advice on from our guests and instead let them give us one piece of advice that they would give to any person running or not running related yeah so we'll still maintain advice components to this podcast right in you're getting advice from uh me or john me and john and um great advice by the way if it is if the advice is or the question is um is going to be really um geared towards one of our guests that's totally okay too we we may bring it into our particular guests and that brings us to who we're having next yeah i mean i don't um i don't want to give away too uh too much about like who we're having next but like we're going to be tackling talk more topics of uh adaptive runners uh, especially runners missing limbs um uh, we're going to talk about bi- to a BIPOC runner about about representation in trails mm-hmm. and to and we still are rescheduling that discussion about overtraining syndrome syndrome. So if you yeah. have any questions on those topics or just just feedback for us on how to tackle them, we would love to hear about it on our socials or to our email podcast at runningwithproblems.run. Those are in our near future, and we have a lineup quite a awesome lineup yeah we have really a, stoked we have a runner that who's um sober and we're going to learn about her journey to sobriety and using running we have a runner who's a race director who has dealt with a lot of um turmoil in his career <laughs> very interesting so we've got a lot of things lined up yeah and we're really excited to get to them over the next few months i guess season two coming up yeah well before we leave you do you want to do a quick check-in a quick check-in yes how are you how was your day oh my day was great just was uh, out uh, doing trail work on green mountain with some good friends and new friends and uh yeah it was really fun to be out there uh, in general, it's been really stressful in our house lately, so my running has not been great, but we did sign up for a Backyard Ultra next week. For so my birthday. We're going to try and get 10 loops, which will be 41 miles for Miranda's birthday. Mm-hmm. That will be really fun. And then maybe if my legs are there, I'll see how far I can go. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, and I had a great day running with some of my uh, gal pals. I ran with a girlfriend, Alex, out on a, a table mesa, which was a beautiful day. It was um, just sunny and gorgeous, and we ran a little later, so we got all the sun, which was perfect. Yeah. And then we went out to brunch. So it was a great day. Well, uh, after that little check-in, we'll let you guys get to it. Here is Caitlin Yonke on Running With Rumbles. So today we have a very special guest that we're excited to welcome, Caitlin Yonke. And John met Caitlin a couple weekends ago, right? Yeah, we were at the Sawatch Ascent and uh, Westline Winder um, 50Ks, and Caitlin was helping out and crewing her husband. Yeah? Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And you're you're quite the athlete, Caitlin. <laughs> I was looking at your ultra sign up in preparation for um, this podcast. I love not to list all of your running accolades because we'd be here for days, but I would love to hear from you and your perspective what your your top couple handful experiences are in running. Oh goodness. I think the ones that are like my favorite ones aren't even listed on Ultra Sign Up. Um, one of those is with an org called MS Run the US, mm-hmm. and that's where you run a marathon a day for a week, and then you uh-huh. hand off to another runner who does the same thing as they run across the country for multiple sclerosis, oh. and then each runner raises at minimum $10,000, and it all goes to raise awareness and funds for MS. Wow. Um, so I've done that three times now. Wow. That's crazy to think. Um, I did it so $30,000 for MS? Yes. Amazing. Oh, very and cool. I did it this past April, so I kicked off the relay this past April in Santa Monica. And then they end in August every year in New York City. And then my other one was a few years ago during COVID because there were no races. But yeah. I decided to run the White Rim Road out in Canyonlands. And that's mainly done by cyclists. But for some reason, that had kind of been, like, living in my brain after getting on it. And I was like, it'd be so cool to do this, but I don't know how. And then we figured out how to do it. And I went and I set the women's FKT on that. And it was just, it was more so the experience versus actually getting, like, the time. And what is the distance on that? 100 miles. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was... I think that's and, one of my favorite ones. I mean, it's okay to brag. What was the FKT? <laughs> Let, let's <laughs> brag a little. I set it at... 20 hours and 19 minutes. Wow. Wow. It's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been looking at that, that road as well. I want to get down there and either run it or bike it. What was, like, what was that experience? Like, did you go out there and scout it before? Or did you just take it in one shot? Did you have, I, did you have crew like, drive down to the, to the road? So I only knew like, certain chunks of it. So anywhere in Canyonlands from Island in the Sky you can, like, drop down on certain trails and, like, hit the white rim. So... It's, like, what, like, 1,000, 1,500 feet below the mm-hmm. the mesa? Yeah. So I had, like, dropped down and seen it from a few different routes. And so I had only seen, like, maybe, like, a mile at a time. And then the rest was either watching YouTube videos of people setting it on bikes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to butcher his last name. Payson McElvin, the cyclist. Okay. He said it that year, and I, like, religiously watched his video to get the terrain. Ah. 
and kind of had it in my head of like, this climb is going to be the tough one. This is what I'm going to need to do. I knew it was going to be sandy AF, so I just kind of prepared for that. I did have a crew car, and we just prayed that the car, the 4x4, was going to make it. There was a point it almost <laughs> didn't, and I was like, uh-oh, I'm going to be running 60 miles without crew. Um, but it made it, thank goodness. Um, and then I had a pacer with me the majority of the time. So I had someone bike for 30 miles, and then I had a runner jump in for like 10 miles stints at a time. And that was kind of fun because it switched it up. And then I had a buddy who wanted to run 50 miles with me, and he ran, like, the last 50 with me. And I thought I was going to hate him by the end of it. Absolutely did not happen. We're really good friends, almost. But there's only two outcomes there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were some points where I was like, you could be quiet now. <laughs> but it was fine. It all worked out in the end. <laughs> what a good friend. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. So we like to talk about communities here. What run communities are you a part of? there's the main one I'm with is I run with the runners roost race team and like the store and the cool thing roost has is they've got like run clubs at each store so I run out of a store and that's the main one here locally and Um, then I work with MS run the US and so we have it's not like a local community but we do have that community that grows mm -hmm. um each year so Whenever we have relay runners join the team, we call it, like, a family. Like, once you're in the family, like, you can't leave. Um, So we have that, and that's, like, the two main ones I'm a part of. Um, I feel like being part of that team is pretty awesome. I love that. And um, I know you do a lot of work with uh, adaptive athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to hear a story of... Of like a story, if you'd be willing to share about yeah. your experience working with adaptive athletes. So the primary athlete that I work with is actually my dad. So I have like an easy in yeah. there. Um, and he's built his own race trikes. So we go to a lot of races. And I can't say enough about like the Colorado, I think it's like Colorado Runner. And then the Leadville Race Series, because they have been like two of the most welcoming races for people with adaptive needs. Mm. Um, But it was really cool this year at Leadville. My dad's trike had a mechanical issue at like with like two miles to go. So I had to do all of the pushing for him. I'm usually just there to help Ah. with an uphill or if he loses his vision or if any one of his MS symptoms occur basically there for safety and I had to push them all uphill which I realized pushing 200 pounds uphill because that's he's got a heavy bike he does not weigh 200 pounds (laughs) promise (laughs) he's not a big guy no judgment Um, here (laughs) but I realized he does a lot of work but what was really cool to see at that race just in general was how many people the looks on everyone's faces watching him do all the work wow Was your dad an athlete before he was diagnosed with MS? So he was a very avid cyclist. Like, he'd go out for days, like Saturday and Sunday, and be gone for several hours. And then he'd come back, eat a jar of peanut butter, and go about his day. And that's just Mm -hmm. always what he did. And so when he was diagnosed, um, that kind of changed our outlook on movement. And over time, we kind of redefined, you know, what our 100% was. And that's kind of been our family quote of, like, what is your new 100% today? Yeah. And I even use it when I race of because not every day I'm going to be at what my 100% is, but what is my 100% today right now? So we use that. And that's one thing I've learned about being an adaptive guide for dad is 
he might lose his vision one mile in or he might lose his vision six miles in. So I have to be prepared for that 100%. And he yeah. also has to be prepared for what I can bring to the table. Because some days he wants to go like a six-minute pace, and I can't do that. So we adapt together, and we learn to do that. And that was really cool at Leadville is we learned the teamwork of, well, his bike can't work, but my legs can. So we learned mm. to work together. And it was really cool also the community cheering for him. Because it's not about me. Being an adaptive guide isn't about me. It's about him. So it was really cool right. to watch the community like really rally around him. And I love seeing that. It also didn't hurt that he won his division. So. Ah! <laughs> Which race was this? The Leadville 10K. The Leadville 10K. Sweet. Yeah. And what about the Leadville like, race series like, allows them? Or like, what are they doing that you're saying that like they accept more adaptive athletes? And what do other races not do this? Or how can they? Yeah, so Leadville has created, like, when you register for any of their races, whether it's the marathon, the 100, the 10K, they actually ask openly if you are, you have an adaptive need. And then they can put you in the adaptive category. So you are competing, like, the Sawatch Ascent and Westline Winder had the non-binary category in there, too. And I believe um, Westline did have an adaptive registration. Ah, but having a separate category that allows for the athlete to compete and actually not be categorized as the general public, mm-hmm. because that's that's not fair, right? Right. right. He's for at least dad. He's in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. so he can't compete with you or I that are on two legs. He's completely different category out there. Right. Some things would be more efficient, and some things very much like, less efficient. Exactly. <laughs> And for even us on two legs, we can't even, I can't even fathom doing what he does in his chair. I've tried it and like my arms are sore after 10 feet. So like what he's doing is superhuman. So I think what what Leadville does is they have that category. And then what they do behind that is ask for what, what need do you have that we can help you with? Which I really like is that you can disclose that or you can choose not to. So we can say, well, I need a guide because X, Y, and Z. Or just say, I need a guide. Wow. And that's, that really helps us because... When you say us. Our family. Yeah. Or dad. Yeah. Um, or anybody in the adaptive community. They can choose to say, hey, I need a guide because on uneven terrain, I don't feel safe. You know, I can... You're going to talk with, you know, other athletes out there, and there are certain ones that might have blades... And they might not right. feel comfortable in uneven terrain. Right. And so they might want to guide in case they fall. And now what, what qualities do you need to have to be a guide? Really just compassion. And I would say, you know, get to go and help. Mm-hmm. There's places in Colorado where you can go and help those runners. Or if you know of anybody, just say, hey, can I... Can I run with you or can I hang out with you and learn about that person first? But really it's compassion and a willingness to work as a team member because it's not being an adaptive athlete and a guide together is not a singular effort. It's always teamwork. I really like, I like how you describe that because I think what might hold a lot of people back from actually doing that is 
maybe a hesitation that they don't have the skills that it takes to be be able to be a guide for someone. Yeah. I think everyone does. It takes, I have a friend that doesn't think he's fast enough to guide dad. And I was yeah. like, dad doesn't care. He just wants yeah. you there. He just wants somebody to hang out with him and to keep him safe. And at the end of the day, it comes down to, do you want to go have fun and work as a team? Or do you just want to sit on the sidelines and miss out? That's what I see. And for me, it's also making a difference. Yeah. I love that. Do, do most uh, adaptive runners like have like guides that they come in to these races with? Or are there groups where they're like sourcing guides? Some have guides that they come in with or people they're familiar with or people they've trained with, but there's other orgs out there. Um, I know Colorado has one, um, Achilles International. Mm-hmm. You've okay. probably seen them at major marathons. Yeah. Um, they actually have like little pockets of clubs around the nation that meet on like certain days of the week. I know one meets at Wash Park on Mondays. I don't know the time, but we can probably link it when I look it up. Um, I I can put it in the show notes. Yeah, check the show notes. Yeah, (laughs) and they meet and they just hang out and like roam around Wash Park. And if you're interested, you can go and meet somebody and that's how you can find somebody. Or somebody like on Run Club pages will like make a note. Roos does this. They're like, hey, somebody's looking for um, a guide to at the Colfax Marathon. If you're interested, let us know. And some sometimes you don't even need to have been a guide before and that like I can't even imagine being the adaptive athlete because that takes so much trust Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that like dad is putting so much trust in me to like not steer him into a trash can yeah and there are times I've tried (laughs) but he's my father Um, well I mean you might have ulterior motives he also can steer on his own so it's really hard anyways (laughs) but I mean that takes so much trust And even as somebody who, you know, has prosthetics or other disabilities, that's so much trust you're putting in someone else standing next to you if you don't know them. So I do recommend going to those places where you can learn how to just be a kind voice. Or if you know somebody who's been a guide before, like Mm -hmm. you can find me on the socials. I do it a lot. It's like, Every couple of Look weeks. in the show notes. We'll tag <laughs> Caitlin's We'll have all of Caitlin's socials. How, doing this for your dad has to be a really intimate experience. How has that impacted your relationship? Uh, oh, gosh. I've been close to my dad for probably forever. Um, he's my dad. But for years, like we cycled a lot together. So I started out as a cyclist before I was a runner. So it was always kind of this... I learned from him, and so mm-hmm. I was kind of always behind him off of his draft cycling, and now mm. it's still kind of that similar relationship, but different in a way of he's letting me know what he needs, and I'm letting him know what I can do, and at the same time, instead of, you know, riding behind him, we're riding together, if that makes sense. For those yeah. cyclists out there, they might understand it, but... It's, we've kind of learned that it's a team and we've become more of a team when we race together versus father, daughter. Right. And everyone's really surprised when we come and pass them and I say, good work, dad. They look at us like, what's going on? It's like, don't worry. He's okay. Or like, I'll make little like joking comments. 
to them. I was like, that's just what we do. And it's, we've become close and we've always been close. So it's really mm-hmm. cool to see him be the athlete I always saw as a kid, but now mm-hmm. I see him working like even harder. And that's really cool to see. And ha- has been, has his ability to still access the sport that he loves, loves helped him navigate this really challenging disease? I think so. I think it's helped him keep the positivity. Yeah, and, and you know? that's really important. Yeah, and with, um, like, I guess, side tangent on MS, like, the more you're yeah. mobile, the more you keep firing those neurons. And so he knows the more he moves, the better it is. He loves to get his heart rate up. He loves to do that stuff. So for him, it's not so much even just navigating the challenging parts of MS. It's just getting out and riding. And for him, it's that love of the sport. So that's what's really cool to me is like the first time we did a race together, Mm -hmm. like it brought tears to my mom and I's eyes because he was an athlete again. And that to us was really cool of getting to see him be the athlete we saw several years ago before MS. And so now he's yeah. back being able to do that. And so being his guide is just able to keep him being an athlete. Wow. So I just like plant those little seeds of like, hey, dad, I think we can catch that person. <laughs> so like I keep that competitive. <laughs> that competitive as- oh, it's, like, it's like you're pacing an ultra runner. Oh, it's like, it's it, like truly, you- it truly is. Let's get to that fucking tree. Yeah. So we finished mm-hmm. Leadville. His goal was to break an hour at the 10K and we missed it by 90 seconds. Ooh. And instead of being like, good work, sweetie, you were so great. Thanks for pushing me. His first thing to me was like, we're breaking an hour next year. <laughs> I'm out of breath leaning over him like, okay, dad. Okay, dad. <laughs> I was like, I better start training now. And then in the car, he's like, I think we could do 55 minutes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to let you think that right now. Let's have no mechanicals. So. That was the one where you're pushing him yes. uphill. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And he's like calculating it all in his brain. So it's, it's really helped him continue to be a competitor, but also yeah. he does it so we can spend time together and also keep the silliness in there. I love that. And your mom started running, too, mm-hmm. because of you, right? You inspired her to start running. Kind of. It actually was because of dad. So oh. when he was diagnosed, she realized he no longer can do these things. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to waste my good body. And that was kind of the catalyst. That's what got her kind of off the couch when I said, hey, mom, do you want to run a 5K? And that was kind of her thing of like, well, he can't do it. And I should. So that's kind of where it came from. It was kind of like that big swirl of peer pressure. Yeah. So. And I, when I was listening to the Bigfoot interview, <laughs> your mom was like, I didn't even know how far a 5K was. Yeah. It was really cute. She was, <laughs> was like, so how, cute. She's like, how far is that? And I was like, it's three miles. I can't do that. And I was like, you can jog to a tree, mom. I'll try. And then she called me like two hours later after we had gotten her shoes and everything. She's like, I did it. How far did you go? Just around the block. And I was like, you did it. And now, like, she goes out, like, almost every day. She runs. She's probably one of the most active women in her 60s that I know. She hikes 14ers. She tries to do one or two every year. So. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I, I'm constantly impressed. Just, I mean, living in, <laughs> in Boulder in Colorado, the amount of uh, older people out there being active. Yes. It's just it, it's so impressive and um, 
I don't know, it's infectious. Like, if you go other places in the U.S., that's, like, not as common. Mm -mm. And I, life goals. All I want to be is 65 and still running every day. Yeah. Yeah. I aspire to be as cool as my mom when I'm in my 60s. And Caitlin, what, what inspired you to become an ultra runner? So my first ultra was actually doing the relay in 2014. Which relay? The MS Run the, the MS US. Run the US. Okay. So my dad was diagnosed when I was in college with MS. And we just kind of like pondered all the ways we could help. We did hike. We didn't do hike MS, but we did like the mud run. We did bike MS. And biking is great. I love you, dad. Biking is great. <laughs> I do not like having a bike seat in my butt all day. And it just wasn't the same <sighs> yeah, without me neither. biking next me, to me. We have that in common. Yeah. And it wasn't the same without him next to me. So there was uh, a sense of loss there. Yeah. And I kind of found running in college too, because when you're, it's a lot of gear to put together to get out the door. For biking? For biking, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have I was to thinking your, winter running, but. That's a lot of gear too. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, you have to put your clips on, you gotta pump up the tires. Like, yeah. I am sure the child of, is a, well taken care of a very, like, good cyclist. So I. I had to go through the checklist. I'm type A. Like, had to go through mm-hmm. it. And when you're in music school, because I have a degree in music therapy, I wanted to have a type of exercise where I could just get out the door, go do something for 30 minutes, come back. Mm-hmm. And realize that putting on a pair of running shoes, going out the door for 30 minutes, coming back was the simplest form of exercise I could do. It's gotten a lot more technical now, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a start. And, and what is the progression to 100 miles FKT? My husband. Ah, <laughs> okay. So I finished the relay, and that's how I met Brandon was with MS Run the US. He was actually my crew on the RV. So he worked oh on the God. RV. And so was how did he get involved with this organization? He found them on, he found them somewhere on some social network. I don't know the full connection of how he found them. He knew no one with MS. My dad oh. is actually the first person that he ever met with a multiple sclerosis. So he just wanted to get involved? He wanted to get involved and make a difference, get out of Michigan and travel. Like, I'm going to come crew on somebody's He actually, so team. he ran the Boston Marathon and went out and he ran a segment. Mm-hmm. And the crew that was supposed to stay on had to leave. And the founder, director said, hey, would you want to stay on for the summer or till Iowa, I think? And he was like, sure. So he stayed on because that's what you do when you're young. It's like, I have no summer job. Sure. And he stayed on. I'll live in an RV traveling the U.S. with people running every day. Yeah. That sounds amazing. In my 20s, I'd say yes to that too. So (laughs) he did. And that's how we met. And we stayed in contact and started dating. But he was training to run Superior. Oh, that's a really cool hundred. We just had a friend run that. Yeah, and that was his first hundred. And I thought if if he can run superior, then I can maybe run a fifty k. Sure. Ah. Right. Like that's how math works. Right. (laughs) And so I decided to do one of Colorado's tougher fifty k's, Devil on the Divide. Oh, that is a that's a good one. Great. It makes great trajectory from road to staying at eleven thousand feet. Mm-hmm. But it worked out well, and then I just was like, oh, We well. get Dairy King at the end. Oh, that's a... I didn't do that, you but didn't do that's that. a good But it one. does end in Empire, right? Yeah, it does. And there's one thing in Empire. Dairy, Dairy King. King. We did get that last time we were up there, though. And then, mm. like, okay, that so. kind of kept, 
kind of spiraling out of control. I did a 50 mile, another 50K, didn't really get there. And then I did the relay again because I wanted to Is this like the next year? Two years later. Two years. And we were, I was sitting on the couch eating Oreos next to my dad. And he said, so when are you going to run Leadville? (laughs) (laughs) Like just, I was like, I don't know. He's like, well, how do you get in? I was like, well, you qualify or you get in the lottery. He's like, well, go qualify. He's like, okay. And so I ran the marathon and got a coin. Oh. Because that's how logic worked. I felt like it was easier to get a coin than when you're younger. Sometimes there's less people in your age group. I don't know. Ah. There are, well, I guess. When you're in your 20s. Yeah, when you're in your 20s, there's less people at at these kind of events than there are. Like, just try getting a coin when you're in your 40s. Or in your 30s. Oh, it's really hard. 30-year-old woman, yeah. No, it's impossible. But managed to get a coin, and then in 2017, I ran Leadville as my first 100. It was a little bit of a slow progression, but it was like, I did a lot of 50Ks and 50 miles and bigger, I will consider like the relay a big ultra event before yeah. doing yeah. Leadville. So the relay is seven days, seven marathons. Pretty much. So you get like a certain chunk of the country. So the first time I ran from... Nephi to Vernal, Utah, was 180 miles. And so however you want to break up the days, um, so you could do a marathon a day for seven days because you get a certain week. And then the second time I ran from Steamboat to Denver, and that was seven days, 178 miles. We've kind of changed it now. Um, I work for the org, so it's a little bit. So you went from running with the org, meeting your husband there, and, and now you, you help work with mm-hmm. uh, Race MS. Is that the name of the organization? MS Run the U.S. MS Run the U.S. Yes. So I'm the relay coach. So I help coach all the runners or write the training plan for them so they can have a successful week on the road because we get runners that they've only run a half marathon. And they want to come and, out and, and run 180-ish mm-hmm. miles. And how do, how do you approach that coaching we slowly build them up because they've got a, some of them have a full year to do it, and we place them in the year based on where their ability is at. So if we've got somebody who's a stout runner, we'll put them at the front of the country. So they'll mm. start in Santa Monica, or they'll run from Barstow to Vegas. So they'll have some of the meteor segments in there. Okay. And when does this race take place? I assume it's annually. Yeah, it's every single year. So from April to August is when they start running. And so you plan, how many runners does it take to run across the U.S.? And you're planning all these runners. So we have in- 19 segments that are already like predetermined. Um, I think we're still taking applicants right now. Check the, maybe we'll get tag it in the yeah, we'll, very- Show notes will have MS <laughs> yes. race run the U.S. Yes, and um, so people can apply annually and then we announce the team I believe in November so the runners have a full gear to plan because it does take a lot and we do ask them to raise ten thousand dollars yeah and it can seem daunting but it's not if you tell people your story mm-hmm. even if you're not affiliated if you have no connection mm-hmm. to MS and you tell people why you wanted to do it it's amazing yeah. how many people are like here here's fifty dollars and then that compounds yeah. and then that compounds and that compounds and it's an amazing way for people to really understand that MS is a disease with no cure. Yeah. And one day there will be one. That's just, that's just how I believe there will be a cure. 
but we have to yeah. keep doing the work. And I can attest to what uh, Caitlin is saying. I used to run for a charity um, in San Diego. It was a very similar model where they would coach you to run an event and I would have a, a fundraising goal. And I would ask local bartenders if I could bartend for charity. And then I would just tell all the customers, I'm bartending for charity today. They would tip extra big that day. Mm -hmm. I would throw a beer mile for charity. I would do little events to raise money to meet my fundraising goals. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so easy to do it. And a lot of companies, you know, they match it, which is really yeah. awesome now. So that's, it's not as daunting. And then the mileage isn't, the first year I ran, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I did have a little bit of an injury during it. And so it wasn't the experience I was hoping for. And a lot of people jumped in to help run for me. Brandon ran for me, um, mm -hmm. the other crew member. My brother walked for me. And it was a really good lesson in um, life with MS or even life with a disability that it's, it's not a singular disease, you know, being disabled doesn't, isn't just one person. It's a team mm -hmm. because everybody, at least for our family. And I know anybody who has been a part of MS around the U S it takes a team to live with it. Yeah. The caregivers, the family, everyone around it. And it, it took my dad saying that of like, Hey, you can't do this on your own. You, you need a team. It took my dad who had MS telling me that for me to be like, Oh shit. I guess I got to let somebody run for me today when I couldn't. And that's kind of how we've always approached life as we move forward. That the weight of the world isn't, isn't all on your shoulders. Exactly. And I think that's a way to approach a lot of things in life. And, you know, one reason I got involved with being an advocate for people with accessible needs is you're not alone. And the more the rest of the community can get involved and show them we are here for you, that really, it speaks volumes. Amazing. So we had someone on a couple of weeks ago who was building a run community. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what your advice would be to someone who is building a run community. How do you make it welcoming to people with um, disabilities, people who need more accessibility? Think about... So if you're building a run community and you yeah. are like, so say like a run club, think about your route uh, yeah. and how accessible is your route. Um, I would say just brush up on the ADA, American with Disabilities Act, and just brush up on that. And then if you know of anybody in the community that has an adaptive need that does go to those events, just reach out to them. Say, hey, if you were going to go to a run club, what would you want to see? Um, I'm a member of the Lone Tree Runner's Roost and they love mm -hmm. when dad comes and it's kind yeah. of like a fight to see like who wants to push him like up the hill because they're steep hills. He can't crank the bike all by himself, but people love helping him. And what it is, is it's just also creating a warm, welcoming environment of not looking at the athlete as disabled, but that they are just as welcome and just as abled as the rest of us. Because mm -hmm. they're differently abled. That's at least how I view it. Mm -hmm. We're other abled. And yeah. they might say that they're disabled and use that as an empowering term. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But also create that warm, welcoming environment where everyone who walks through this club is a welcome participant. From fastest to slowest. 
whatever you've got. Yeah. Whatever your ability is. Yeah. Have you ever considered like um, a solo effort that you would raise money for? Um, I know I know that some people have done this in the past. I don't know, I'm thinking of like people who run across whole countries and they raise money for their issues. Have you, have you considered that? I mean, you're going on doing FKTs, you're raising money as part of this MS run the U.S. Has that ever crossed your mind to like do a big solo effort? So I did, when I did White Rim, I raised money for MS run the U.S. Ah. And then when I did, oh gosh, I think it was 2022 or 2021, I ran the length of the Highline Canal, a very oh, dumb God. endeavor. <laughs> what, is what, what is this? 200 miles of just windy. The Highline Canal? How long is it? How long no, is it? No, it's like 67. It's 67 it's a miles? It's really oh, stupid okay. endeavor. Okay. And if you really <laughs> Some want, like, I thought it was if you want very something mind numbing to do, but it's kind do of just it. a bad bike path, yeah. right? Yeah, it was great. Where, raised, where is it I at? I raised money for accessibility because it's like one of the most accessible trails in all oh, of Colorado. Okay, oh. that makes sense. See, oh, but it, it has it a is reason. Accessible. I mean, it winds through every neighborhood in Denver. Exactly, and you can get on it at any access point. But it is again just like, yeah. I had a lot of people join to keep my mind like moving, <laughs> but I did that. Those um, are two very different activities. <laughs> exactly, which is the point of it. But yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. So in April or May, I'm considering doing the Cocopelli Trail. Oh, now and that it, is over 200 miles. No, it's not. It's what? 138. What? <laughs> All right. Yeah. I don't know anything about trail <laughs> But I am considering figuring out how to tie in raising money for or like awareness for people with disabilities. Do you find that that gives you more uh, push? Yes. So when I did White Rim, every 10 miles, I dedicated to the story of somebody living with or who had lost their fight to MS. And it was really powerful because every 10 miles, I took that person with me. So it was kind of like, mm. all right, these first 10 miles are for Jill. And Jill was the founder's mom who had passed away from MS. And then the next 10 miles, I took like all of our MS heroes. And I kind of had this list going, and I got to tell their stories. And I had a friend post all of them to Instagram while I was running because okay. there's no service out there. So no. I wasn't, and I wasn't going to text. So you like pre-scheduled or, or yeah, had your they, friend they had them post them as they hit those mile markers and then saved the last 10 for dad. So it was really powerful of like, I have oh. to hit mile 90. So that way the last 10 miles are always for dad. So, mm. and that's just kind of how I always work it in there. Oh, it's really meaningful. I love that. And then he'll usually yeah. like send me a message or something. Be a little bit dorky because he can be. <laughs> That's fine. But I usually do that. So I try and find things like that when I do FKTs because I feel like, yeah, it's really cool to do an FKT and be like, yeah, I have an FKT. But it doesn't mean, it's just, it's just a time, right? You don't get a buckle out of it. Well, I mean, even a buckle still a buckle. It is, and that's really cool, and that's in a race, and that's like on those record books, but an FKT, you're on a website, and that's great, but at the end of the day, what was the true purpose behind doing that? To say you beat mm -hmm. so-and-so? That's cool, but to me, it's like... And now you're on a website run by Outside Magazine. Yeah, and I would rather <laughs> do it for the sole sake of saying, you know, in the process, I made a difference. I think that... 
that external impact yeah. is something that most runners don't touch, right? Like we, running is, for all intents and purposes, is mostly selfish, right? Mm -hmm. We yeah. run for ourselves. We run to to further ourselves, to build ourselves, mm -hmm. maybe into better people, hopefully into better people, yeah. right? But it's still about us and our judgment of our results is right in, inside of us unless you are actually having an external impact. I mean, it's definitely something I've never experienced, right? So I, I love this idea and I don't know. I feel like I should do more. I think we should sign up. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> they, come through, would be fun. they come through Denver. The relay comes through Denver in May. Mm -hmm. And so the relay runner will run down into Denver through Golden. So... Just, my, if you follow me, you will see it because, oh. like, I'm heavily involved. Dad is always like, all right, wheeling down next to him way too fast. I mean, my so. my dad is my dad suffers from another crippling disease, the multiple myeloma, and okay. I'm always. I still have never volunteered for that organization as well. It's not nearly as big because those people have it, but um, yeah, the, these sorts of things are they give some more. I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Like they bring more to the running other than just yourself. And that's got to have an impact. I feel like it does. I feel like at the end of the day, um, to me, it brings just a little bit more hope, you know, cause when we, we first found out yeah. it was like, what, what can we do? Right. Right. I'm not a scientist. I, I can't go and save him. I can't go save other little girls whose dads have been diagnosed, but what I can do is shout from the rooftops that there needs to be a cure. Yeah, and there needs and, to be more research, and yeah. there are people here that care. And if that little trickle can keep moving down and create a stream, and then there's other disabilities that get tied in with that, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, parents whose kids have Down syndrome or cerebral palsy that tie into that, and it keeps trickling down, more people are going to see, the more we say there needs to be something done or that we can do, to even just create this inclusion in our society, the more that is going to be done. Yeah. You know, I mean, over the years in our run community, people, I've noticed people see a wheelchair and they don't look at it with a scoff on their face anymore. They look at the wheelchair and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Because when they first saw dad in a wheelchair, they're like, oh, he's here. There's dirt. And then they see him like <laughs> wheel across and they're like, oh, okay. And now they see him at races and they're like, oh, that's Bill. And yeah. so, like, they, it's changed. And the more we keep doing that, the more mm -hmm. it's, we're including them. And it, it is our norm. Yeah. And we can't see it as them being different. It's, the, again, the human condition. Yeah. So your, your work is contributing to a movement, and I mean that figuratively, not literally, a movement yeah. to build awareness. Yeah. Raise money. Yeah. And um, change the way that we view certain groups of people in our society. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I think so. I, did you ever experience um, running with your father, the prejudice, judgment, like people saying things, trying to exclusion? Did you experience explicit resistant, resistance? No resistance. Um, I don't want to say so much in that. The one thing that has gotten me is a lot of large marathons when trying to sign him up. So his uh, dream was to run the Boston Marathon. And I don't think that's we'll ever get That's a pretty big that. marathon. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever get it. Oh. Because of their, 
rules for what considers him an adaptive athlete. This was like just in the news today, right? It wasn't jock in the news today? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So he uses pretty much what's called a crank bike, which is a lab. However, if you have a crank bike, you can't have a guide. Uh, okay, confused faces. Okay. All right, yeah. We're all is there that. a reason? Do you think there's a reason? Or Their I... main reason is safety. But here's the thing. He can crank himself to an extent, and he could crank the whole marathon. But there's other people out there that might have be in the same boat and be able to crank that, but they could have a seizure. Uh, right, there's could, a safety aspect. There's yeah. a safety aspect. And I'm there to keep him safe. And as you say, like, uh, there's also somewhat of like a navigational, right? If his, yeah. his vision is lost yeah. or some sort of impairment that might happen on course, yeah. right? Yeah. So he calls it cross-eyed. And it's just where like his vision kind of blurs and he can't see clearly. I don't want him running over anybody. That would be bad. That would be bad. It'd be, a f- <laughs> again, I love you, dad. It'd be a fun news article. However, <laughs> we joke so I can say that. It'd be an illuminating News article. However, I don't want it to happen. Like, kitten gets run over by wheelchair athlete. Like, right. would not want no. that. But I'm there to keep him from veering off the road, right? And I'm there if mm-hmm. any other symptoms arise, on any expected ones. But then that also limits people who have other disabilities that would love to crank chair, but they can't because they need a guide. But he also doesn't want to be a athlete in a push chair because if he is in a push chair, not a push push rim, is people that are usually like the front pack ones that are pushing the rims of their chair. Mm-hmm. Right. Push chair is somebody that sits in a chair and the runner behind does all the work. Okay. Oh. He doesn't want to be that. He wants to. He wants to work. He work. wants to do the work and be an athlete. So it's sitting. There's a group of athletes, and they do exist. He can't be the only one that are either not abled enough or not disabled enough. Oh my goodness. And so that's, that's the pushback where we are at. Is this a common rule uh, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. in major marathons? And in a lot of races. And so that's why I like Colorado runners and Leadville and a few other races because they say, have him show up. Let's see what he can do. And we trust that he knows why he needs a guide. Do you think... Great. Ex- that's excellent. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I think that's great. Yes. Yeah. But I have a question. Like, so do you think the major marathons do this to try and create a level playing field among adaptive athletes? Are, are we trying to create something that can't exist is essentially what I'm asking. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure because I can't be put in an adaptive athlete's sure. shoes. I can speculate and maybe speculate wildly. I don't know if that's the right term. But I can guess that it is to try and level out that field, um, to put some enlightenment onto it. In 2021 was the first year in the race's history. Boston Marathon. mm -hmm, That a person with Down syndrome ran the race. Yeah. Well, I mean, Boston and Marathon's not, never been the first, never been the most um, And not to bash liberal. on them, they've <laughs> been a great historic race, but to put perspective on the big races, right. on where there is room for growth. And we could yeah. deep dive into statistics all we want on things, but 
I mean, there's athletes out there that have, you know, a prosthetic leg that have a guide. And there's yeah. athletes out there that are blind that have a guide. And we're not saying that that's allowed for people in chairs. So yeah. there's work that needs to be done. And I mm-hmm. think that's the pushback that we're getting. And that's one reason I maintain to be vocal about it. Because there needs to be We need to continue on. having this conversation. I mean, yeah. the... I mean, the Boston Marathon exists to be, like, this thing to strive for in your category, right? Yeah. That, no matter what age, what gender, although I don't know if they have a non-binary category yet. But they do. They do. Okay. So there are 44 athletes, I believe. Well, that's awesome. That Woo. is, like, that's fantastic. That's amazing. So, like, we have all these different categories, and they, they try to create some sort of, you know, field of each of these athletes, mm-hmm. and we should... Should continue having this conversation because everyone should have the ability to try. And I mean, Boston is just one of these races that you that people it's an dream icon. about. It's people an icon of the to. sport. Yeah, like, was, to to run Boston is a dream for so many runners of differing abilities, ages, yeah, genders. And I know it's mm-hmm. not just Boston that this is happening at. It's just like one example. Like there are some other world majors that yeah. I can't even find their adaptive program. Mm. So. So much more needs to be done, and that's what, like you said, the conversation needs to constantly be moving, and if we don't have these conversations, it's not going to happen, and the more we have these conversations, the powers that be are going to be like, oh. People care. People care. Yeah. I mean, we created uproar with other conversations in recent years. We need to keep moving that forward. That's awesome. And does... Is this conversation happening in the trail scene? I know we talked about Leadville a lot. They're a trail race. They are. But it's not something I see in a lot of trail races. Is it missing? Is it needed? Like, I mean, the trail scene in many ways is very nascent compared to the road scene. I think in the trail scene, it will come. I don't know if it's like a conversation where we need to like go with like our picket lines. Right. Blaring, but I do think just having a blanket policy, even where it comes to like, hey, if you have an adaptive need or you need, you know, a handicap spot, that at trail races, they reserve it. Right. So like many, many hundreds have, um, you know, if you're over 60 years old, you can have a pacer the whole way. Now, I, I don't really know off the top of my head, but it'd be really great if you were a blind runner and you wanted to run mm-hmm. this whole race that you could bring a, a guide the whole way. Leadville now does that. Mm-hmm. So I know in 2022, um, I don't remember what the athlete's condition was, but they were required or asked if they could have some a guide with them up until you were allowed to have a pacer, and then their pacer jumped in. And so they had a guide from start to there. Um, and I know another athlete who just because of the mountain pass and other medical conditions said, Hey, I don't just getting up over hope pass is I can do it, but I need somebody with me. And they said, we'll make them a guide. They can't give you anything. They can just hike behind you. And they allowed it. So I know there's races going on this case by case basis. And I think that is a great place to start. It's a start. I know I've had a conversation with um, the people at High Lonesome about what that might look like if somebody might have those needs at the race, you know, Mm. starting, have a guide at mile 30, have, you know, 
have something happen a little bit early because that is such a high race. Oh yeah, that's a and it has many difficult sections, yeah. many many difficult uh, footing sections. As the comms director for that race, I would be <laughs> uh, I would be monitoring a, a runner, an adaptive runner closely, making sure that they had everything they needed, right? Yeah, and adaptive uh, doesn't have to look like a physical disability. It can be, you know, anything from you know, severe diabetes to a heart condition to epilepsy to, you know, anything like that. Um, other cognitive issues like traumatic brain injury that happened that causes them to have, you know. We, we, did, have, we did have Dave Mackey run last year mm-hmm. um, who has one uh, amputated leg. And yeah. so there has been some history, of a small history of yeah. adaptive athletes at that race, but I'd love to see us grow it more. Although I'm talking without talking to Caleb, so don't take anything <laughs> I say as rules. Yeah, but I know I've had conversations with them, and I know um, when we've had, when they've had, you know, part, not participants, but participants' families who are in wheelchairs, my dad and other people's, they reserve close-up parking spaces. And they let, you know, comms know that someone's going to be there and they, you know, save that spot. Um, Leadville does the same. Several other races do the same. So just being, having the awareness to start, I think, is Mm -hmm. the first step. And some of, like, those other major races, just saying, hey, if you have a need or think you have a need, let's chat. And not, you know, just to start because we're smaller, just giving that space to say, let's chat. You don't need to create a policy up front. Until right. people start saying, hey, yeah. what do we need to do? But just say, let's chat. It's pretty easy to contact most trail race directors. Yeah. Uh, because trail races generally are smaller. They're a little yeah. less busy. I mean, maybe they're really busy because they're doing more. But, um, but like, it's not like there's 10,000 runners no. and they need a full policy and, and, you know, pace groups and everything. Just uh, send them a message and be like, this is, these are my needs. Can you guys accommodate? And yeah. Most of the time, I bet the answer is going to be yes. But I'm interested to see how this conversation evolves as there are more athletes in the space. There were two young gentlemen at Western States this year with autism. Oh, yes. And that for me, One of them went, uh, Austin, right? His name? Yeah. Went sub-24. That That was so crazy. That warmed my heart to see both of them. He beat Caleb. One of them them is nonverbal. And nonverbal autism is... um, that's hard for communication, but he yeah. ran with somebody the entire way. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And he went out, and it's all on his Instagram, so it's open to the public. His mom is very open about like sharing his story, which is great. Um, and they practice. He's afraid of the water crossing, so they went and practiced all the water crossings. Like, wow. And the race made a conscious effort to make sure he felt like he was safe. And that's what races can do is say, yeah. hey, you're coming. We know you're coming. How can we help? And I think that's the biggest thing in trail communities. If they know someone's coming, yeah, wow. just be like, hey, we want you here. How can we be of success for you? And that's, well, that's the greatest thing for me. That's a great message. Caitlin, I feel weird asking this because I feel like you've offered us so much advice today. <laughs> so my, my final question really is, um, about what advice you would give to our listeners, just general advice. Mm, that's hard. Does it have to be about running? No. No. We originally fancied ourselves an advice podcast, but okay. we're evolving more on that later, okay. listeners. But I would love for you to share some advice, some life advice. Mm. 
to our listeners? I think kind of along the lines of like what we have chatted about is like, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to like extend that too. Because admittedly all of us at some point in time will be like, no, I've got this as you're like sitting in a corner, like panic crying that you can't do it. It's okay to not be a party of one in your life and letting people in and letting people help you is why we're, Humans aren't supposed to be solitary creatures. We are a pack. Yeah. And asking for help helps create that pack and create that, that sense of teamwork and that sense of bonding. So don't be afraid to ask for help. We're not meant to do things alone. It's not good for our mental health. Which I love about your story today is we're talking about two very solo-ish sports or sports yeah. we think of ourselves as being yeah. in alone. And you're talking about the team effort yeah. behind that. Yeah, I think running's more of a team than we realize, and especially ultra running, right? We have crews. Yeah. And we have pacers. It's more of a team. Yes, you did all the work. You're running the whole miles, but it is a team. And at the end of the day, really put value into your team. Yeah, when when you said panic crying in the corner, I <laughs> I had I had a distinct memory of uncontrollably shivering in a car at Frozen Head State Park. <laughs> And turning to Miranda and just being like, I need you to say something because right now I cannot get out of this state, you know? And Miranda said what I needed to hear and and I got out of that car. Um, Yeah, and that moment where you're just like, this isn't just me here. I don't have to rely on just me. Mm -hmm. I've, I've built this space so that I have a crew, a team, right? And I'm actually going to rely on them at yeah, this moment when exactly. I really need them. Yeah, and you have yeah. to be able, you have to know when to say, okay, I need help. Yeah. Because we've all had that moment, whether it is figuratively or literally crying, panic crying in a corner. We've all been there. Some people more often than others. <laughs> like, we've all had that moment where like, oh, 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 what do I do? And it's okay to dial the phone and be like, help. Or look at your crew and be like, help. And they will help you. Like, there's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame in asking for help. Love it. Uh, just to close, do you, uh, do you have any shout-outs you want to give for any of, um, anything you're working up? Obviously, we've talked a lot about um, MS Run the U.S., mentioned uh, Runner's Roost. Got any, anything else that you want to give a shout-out to? Um, do you work with? Uh, Speedland. Oh yes. Ah. <laughs> um. I believe was, in was the that intro. Fishing. It was definitely fishing. <laughs> yeah. In the intro, our runners, our, our listeners would have definitely heard the news that I, I'm a I'm a new Speedland athlete, and you are also a Speedland yes. athlete as well. Yes. Um, and I think that's it. Roos Speedland, MS Run the US. Um. Yeah. Yeah. All well, right. Thanks for the support, all those yeah. people. Uh, and Caitlin, thank you for being on. This was yeah. amazing. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely.